0: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow,
1: and I'm listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
6: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one today. Uh, As promised, um, yesterday during armchair politics, I mentioned a couple of times that we would be talking with Sarah Anderson from the Institute for Policy Studies, and uh, that's coming up during the second hour. Uh, but first, we're going to talk with uh, Bert Sarkinen, Tom Sumner program.
5: Hello, this is Bert with Arrow Timber
6: Framing. Yeah, hi, Bert. Stand by. Okay. Little inside baseball here, folks, as we uh, get connected up with our first hour guest. He joins me by phone. He is uh, the founder of Arrow Timber and the author of a new book called The Art of Hybrid Timber Framing. His name is Bert Sarkin, and he joins me by phone. Hi, Bert. Welcome to the show.
5: Well, howdy, Tom. Thanks for having me.
6: Um, Hybrid Timber Framing. Now, I've had the benefit of looking at some of the pictures, and, and of course, the cover of the book uh, has a a beautiful home that's... uh, um, using this hybrid timber framing Um, a couple of questions one what is hybrid timber and two from some of the the things that I've seen is this kind of a modern version of uh, building a log cabin
5: well you're very astute Tom (laughs) that is a great way to put it a modern version of building a log cabin or to be a little bit more precise a little bit like the post and beam construction they did back in the old days when they didn't have nails. So if you think mm. about like these old pictures of old German towns where you see these dark beams and these white walls, what that actually is is it's these, these dark beams or wood is put together with a mortise and tenon and a peg, and then the walls are infilled with this mud and wattle, so it's a mixture of kind of clay and straw and that sort of thing. And so they didn't have as many trees in the old country back when you know the that that was the prevalent building method, and so that's timber framing and then so hybrid timber framing is using some of those artistic methods and really personalizing a building or a home and and then doing it with, in specific places in conjunction with today's building methods so it's, it's a joined. So you get kind of the personalized art and the feeling, a vibe, really cool. It can be a lodge. It can be modern. It can be uh, either, even traditional uh, or even, even wax a little bit uh, coastal. There's a lot of seven styles we have in the book. So there's a lot of different stories and examples.
6: But um, what, is, what is hybrid timber, Bert?
5: Hybrid is simply using the artistic beam. So you'd take like a heavy timber truss. And maybe you incorporate that into, like, the entry and foyer and great room of a home that, let's just say that you wanted a mix of kind of industrial modern with rustic for the overall vibe of a home. Okay. And so you so use these trusses in specific places, and maybe you'd include a, a post or even some metal bracketry. And it's, it's uh, used just in that area of the home. So in that way, it's hybrid. In other words, it is not the whole home isn't constructed with mortise and tenon and Okay, peg. because
6: when I see the when I see the term hybrid, Bert, I I think mm-hmm. that the the wood is made of some sort of composite. That it's uh, you know a, okay. a different mm-hmm. kind of wood, but it's mm-hmm. um, but actually it's it's the way that it's put together that makes it hybrid timber framing.
5: Yeah, it's like a hybrid system, if you were to... Hybrid building system. So gotcha. the wood still is a carbon sink, and it's still good for the environment to use and, and all of that. It's real wood, and, and you can use any... Well, there's some species that are better to use than others, but just depends on what is trying to be accomplished and where things are being built.
6: Now, who's likely to use this? Is this something that... Um, that house builders would pitch to to people who want to have them build a house for them and and then come to you and say, you know, I need these materials because I'm going to do this project. Is is this something, um, is your book geared toward professionals or are there things that that do-it-yourselfers can do using hybrid timber framing?
5: So if some of your listeners, Tom, have sparked interest in what is timber framing and who uses it and that, really it's, there's a lot of books out there. So, so my little personal story, I was uh, framing high-end homes with complex roofs and that and just enjoying life as, with math and just building stuff. And a client asked me to do some timber framing, and I asked him, well, what is that? And he kind of told me about it, and I kind of got a foggy idea, and I said, let me think about it. I went to the library, found some books on it, and fell in love with the craft. And since then, a lot of other books have been written, technical books, books talking about how it ties in historically. And so now it feels kind of good for our book to contribute in another way that the market is missing, and that is really how using exposed beam construction or post and beam construction or timber framing, the terms are kind of interchangeable on a layman's level, how it's going to impact the look and feel of a building project, more more often than not it's homes. How it's going to affect your home with the look and feel and what kind of a vibe, how do you want it how do you want do you want it to be a big, rustic, solid? Do you want it to be kind of surprising in modern light. And so there's just personalization, and people are really grooving on that. So there's a whole world for people out there to explore. And um, the book is written for – sections one through five is really written for the end user, the owner, because they really have to get serious about understanding what they want. And so there's exercises in there and examples. And and then the the second section is for designers – and that's where you get into the seven different styles and how to accomplish achieving different looks and feels. And then the third section is really for the builders, and there's talks about managing the money, talks about other tips and making this a smooth process to incorporate with today's building systems.
6: Well, this is fascinating. Um, people who want to um, have a home with this kind of framing... Do they need to live in a particular place, or is this something that could fit into any neighborhood uh, in any town u s a
5: you're you basically said it 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 could pretty much fit anywhere there's we've written numerous articles in addition to the content in the book about fitting with the context and in with your neighborhood cc and rs you know and it really Really comes back to you, just that simple question that, you know, what do you want? What do you hate? What are you trying to achieve? And there, those, when you really dial down on these, these first five chapters, all those questions kind of dust themselves off and answer themselves.
6: Bert, how did you get into uh, timber framing and, and uh, end up being the founder of Arrow Timber?
5: Well, Tom, thanks for that question. Uh, like I just mentioned, with uh, the client who introduced me to it, you know, in that library, I found these books on it, and that, that looking at the craft, the joiner, these old, just all these things that you could incorporate with today's building, it just was a lot of fun, and it was artistic uh, pursuit on a big level, and so from there, that was in two thousand and two. From there, it was kind of just a magnetic attraction. I started looking for opportunity and started funding my education by doing projects on the cheap just to get my cut my teeth, <laughs> and, and that, that's kind of where it started, and then I eventually dropped the traditional framing or the conventional framing altogether, and we've just been focusing on artistic hybrid tumor frame packages that incorporate with yeah
6: has, has there been an uptick uh during the uh the pandemic on people wanting to fix up their places a little bit maybe maybe adapt a new look
5: mm-hmm. that's uh that's spot on as well Tom. There's, i just it just really amazes me how bad of a prophet I am when the pandemic hit I you know kind of buckled up and thought okay oh boy what's gonna happen here and that people being at home, they start realizing, well, and I'm not traveling. I would let's remodel this or do a makeover, and we've done a lot of makeovers for different things. Your ability really, to just dress up a great room, or so that that's been a driver. There's also been with the rioting that happened last summer. There's a lot of people that are moving out of the cities. Yeah, and and building retreats and that sort of thing. So that's, that's driven a lot of business our way as well.
6: And this is something that could be used for decks and porches and other things to, um, uh, sort of expand the living space on homes.
5: Mm. Mm-hmm. And, the the pavilions, the backyard pavilions. Oh yeah. They can be freestanding, stand, free freestanding or attached. If anyone is considering, a backyard pavilion one of the big questions that i like to ask people is is this going to be convenient living for you and entertaining or is it going to be kind of more of a destination where it's a little bit further away and you kind of set up for a party or an event further out and more often than not what i ask people to consider is that the further you get from the food the further you get from the kitchen the least likely you are to use the space.
6: Mm, if it's right, point. if it's
5: right off the, if it's right there where the food and coffee and drinks are, and you can just whisk outside, and use it. That's when people really use it. And then there's also the concept of a three three seasons outdoor living area, and that's where you got the. You can have glass doors. You can kind of have shades. You can have some radiant heaters. Those sort of things really extend that. And people that set it up that way they gravitate towards that fresh air. As long as you can maintain comfort, you get that fresh air and it's a little bit of nature bathing, and it, it's really been a big hit.
6: Hey, Bert, I've got a break coming up, and we've got to wrap okay. things up, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Do you have a website?
5: Yes, uh, Arrow Timber Framing, as in bow and arrow, com.
6: Well, Bert, thanks so much for, uh, for, for sharing uh, this information, and uh, good luck with the book and, and really with all your work.
5: Well, thank you, Tom.
6: All right, take care. That was uh, Bert Sarkinen. He's the founder of Arrow Timber and author of the new book, The Art of Hybrid Timber Framing. We're going to take a short break, and uh, then we'll be back with uh, Chris Kaiser after we, uh, oh, he's going to talk about snow throwers and and uh, anyway, outdoor uh, equipment. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
5: Hello, out there, everybody, it's me, Tigger. T i double g That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner's program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
7: This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
6: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, joining me again, he's uh, been here before, and it's always fun to talk to him. He has some useful information uh, from the Outdoor Power Equipment Institute. It's uh, Chris Kaiser joining me by phone. Chris, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Good to be with you. Um, now it seems like the last time we talked, we talked about generators, and there were certainly a lot of people in Texas recently that <laughs> could have could have used a generator. Um, but you're we've just had a lot of snow, and um, at least here in Michigan. But but what there was a, a storm that went all the way across the country, and uh, you've been trying to share tips on. Uh, how to um, properly use snow throwers is snow thrower the right term I know a lot of people call them snow blowers
2: no they both work snow thrower works and much like a generator um, it's planning right knowing if you're going to need it getting it ready getting the right fuel making sure fresh fuel um, and anything that's seasonal recreational emergency so it has limited use the key with any power equipment today is there's ethanol in fuel now. That's a government mandate. That's an alcohol. It absorbs water over time. So fuel stales. Phase separates. So no longer is the day where you can put five gallons in the garage and leave it there forever and just use it as you need it. It'll it'll simply stale. So run your machines dry when you're going to put them up for the season or between uses. um, Get fresh fuel when you need them. And if you are going to store fuel for longer than 30 days, use a fuel stabilizer.
6: Um, it, so it's just not possible to put in a stash of uh, gasoline, like you say, five gallons in the garage for the winter season, for example.
2: Now, you can buy ethanol free fuel if you can find it. Um, a lot of times you'll see it in marine areas. Remember, if it absorbs water, so if a hot humid, or you're near a marine environment, lakes, rivers, et cetera, the ocean, um, it's the problems are more acute. Uh, and some, oftentimes in a marine environment, you'll find ethanol-free fuel, and you'll see it advertised. Now, it's more expensive. Um, and what I use for my handheld equipment, uh, you can buy on-the-shelf fuel, typically done by manufacturers. So if you're Lowe's, Home Depot, or your dealer, you'll see a can of it, um, Echo Steel, if you will. Uh, they'll supply their own fuels. It'll be ethanol-free, and it has a very long extended shelf life, and it can sit longer in the machine. But if you're buying it from the pump almost anywhere in the country it's going to have at least 10% ethanol and that becomes a challenge.
6: But unfortunately a lot of times we wait until the snow's already here before <laughs> we start thinking about those things. That's just human nature, Chris, you know. Um all of a sudden there's a lot of snow and you think, "Man, I, you know, I'm not going to shovel this. I you know, I'm going to get out the the snow blower and knock this out in no time and then you realize you don't have gas well as as you pointed out in uh in press releases and things um you know if it's a real snow emergency your corner gas station might not even be open
2: are you not you might not be able to get down the driveway
6: it, well yeah there's that too
2: so typically nowadays we know so if you're gonna get serious weather you know we have some advance notice or a hurricane you have advance notice <clears throat> so the likelihood that Leave. I mean, limbs may come down. These are the kinds of things you ought to prep for. Look, I have dogs and I have a long driveway on a hill, and so I need to go out before the snow and clear the driveway of dog toys and sticks and the garden hose. Um, the machine's going to find all that stuff under the snow, which you may not be able to see once the snow is down. So, again, that's preparation. The key is run that machine before you need it. Get the gas before you need it. Clear the driveway before the snow gets on it. These are very, very important for the safe operation of a snow thrower.
6: So, it, so the, the best thing to do is to, you know, watch the, uh, the weather forecasting. And if they're saying that we're going to get, you know, a decent amount of accumulation, you should get out and check those things, clear the driveway, clear the, the steps and the, the walk, you know, to your house um, of any obstructions.
2: Exactly, I uh, just prep, and you might want to look for limbs it's the time to uh, winter's a good time to do it. If you see limbs that are weak, this is the time to take them off with a a chainsaw um, if you 've got one or a pole pruner, um, because the weight on a limb from ice or snow will shear right it'll it potentially hurts the tree versus a good cut, so try to look for those limbs that may come down and pr- and present a hazard once they 're down um, again, eating before a snow. Is, is the time to do that work. Preparation is key both in planning for the machine, the fuel before, before you need it, any oil. Check the, uh, the oil level, the fuel. Remember, gas and oil, lifeblood of an engine. The right. principle, you know, a generator or a snow thrower, principally an engine uh, with a, some other device on it. And so if you keep that um, in good running order, the machine, will, these, these, these machines are tough. They'll last a very, very long time.
6: Um, I remember now. It's been years and years and years having um, having electric snow blowers, and you know, running the long cable and you know, running up and down, <laughs> yep. down with it. And and for some reason, I was always throwing cotter pins. <laughs> and, yeah, I, you and I.
2: I'm not a young person, so I remember. And I say you are too, but I remember too. And the the cable that you had to throw if you had an electric lawnmower. Those days have shifted dramatically. There are very significant battery electric options now. That's I was,
6: what I was going to ask. If, oh,
2: yeah, for sure.
6: Is, is it very expensive? Is, is charging uh, tricky to, to work with uh, electric versus gas?
2: You know, it's a lot like the auto industry, right? So it's yeah. advancements that have, have come a long way. But with lithium-ion power, the ability to store a lot of power in a small battery compact, um, you get very good run times now. So there's very significant product offerings, um, blowers, trimmers, shredders, walk-behind mowers, chainsaws, uh, and snow throwers. Now, if you have a big snow thrower, um, because you're in the cold and it's, it, that machine needs a lot of torque, um, there are battery snow throwers, but the bigger units uh, are still going to be an engine unit. But very significant strides, very significant uh, charging improvements, speed charging, the ability to stack batteries. And so what manufacturers can do now is load batteries together um, in a backpack or something for a device. So you're getting commercial users now using them. This year we're going to see we own a big trade show, ninth largest in the country, where we demo outdoor power equipment. Um, You're going to see a lot of big zero turn mowers those are commercial mowers largely um, with lithium battery power so it's now evolved to the point where you can store enough power on a device and or speed charge it what you are seeing now with landscapers who use battery equipment they'll put a portable generator on that trailer and they'll charge batteries while they're you know, at a house or something charge from that portable generator in between jobs um, but it's, it's here to stay. Battery technology has taken off. There's likely a battery product um, that meets your needs. Um, still on the commercial side, gasoline is king.
6: Yeah. Is it um, a big expense to go with the, the better models of electric?
2: Not so much. Now, in the beginning, they, there was a price point differential, um, but that's come down. So manufacturers, uh, there's been very significant demand. This has probably been the biggest year ever for some handheld product, including chainsaws and walk-behind mowers. This COVID business has reordered its shifted. it's a phenomenon. People now back in their yards. They're calling it backyarding, having staycations, utilizing outdoor space. I have an outdoor office. Um, So try to find a fire pit. Try to find an outdoor propane heater. People have reconnected to the outdoors in a very meaningful way and this terrible COVID thing is, has facilitated that. But we're seeing very, very real trends um, in the marketplace where homeowners are buying lots and lots of power equipment, including battery.
6: Now, I mentioned earlier that last time you were on the show, we were talking about prepping uh, uh generators for power outages in big storms which you know which can happen in winter from big snow events but it can happen other times of the year too but when you're prepping your snow thrower that's just as good a time as any to um prep all of your outdoor equipment think you know we're in for a storm you know i'm going to put some gas in um is it is it appropriate if you're expecting a, a storm event to last over a couple 3 days that that you go ahead and and uh you know get your your uh generator you know gassed up and checked out and and ready to go and um yeah. and, and, you, and your you. snow blower you know have it have it all gassed up and ready to go so as soon as uh The snow quits falling. You're out there getting stuff That's exactly
2: right. That's the safe play, right, is to make sure that you can access the unit, make sure that you can run the unit before you need it. As you described, once the snow's down or the power's out, that's not the time to try to figure out the machine. Do I have the gas? Is it running? Will it work? Do I have the right – do I have the discharge tool for the snowblower? Do all of that in advance. Same thing with your portable generator. What's key there is – I find those power cords, right? That machine has to be run a safe distance from the house. It cannot be run in the garage. It cannot be run on the porch or the breezeway. And what we regrettably find is people, you know, they get it out when they need it, and then they can't find the cord or the the power. You know, you need a significant cord to carry the load of the machine, and it has to be long enough to keep it a safe distance from the house. And so you've got to find that in advance. You cannot run these machines up near an open-door or window. So all of that has to be pre-planned. And so, yeah, get a, put a little fuel. The rule of thumb today is buy it and burn it. So put a little fuel in it to, to start the machine, see if it runs, and so it'll be ready if you need it. Um, again, I wouldn't fill the machine. Kind of rule of thumb today is don't fill the machines with fuel um, that's likely to sit, right? So it's not like the old days where you just fill up the snow thrower and use it throughout the winter. Just use what you need. Keep it in a can. And if you can stabilize it, it's not expensive. You buy it at the big box or your dealer, and yeah. pour it in there. That'll give you a couple more months on it. So, but check it out in advance, especially a portable generator. And the other thing we've saw, we've we've seen of late. Look, these machines. Texas was a horrible, horrible situation, right? And you see, with those long-term outages, where you guys live, um, or in Florida with hurricanes, once the power's been out for a while and people have are in a very tough situation. These things are highly sought after. They're easy, ident- it's easy to identify the house with lights, or you can hear the machine running, and they're prone to theft. They're very easy to maneuver. They're like a wheelbarrow.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And so be prepared for that. Think about securing the machine or having it in a safe location both for it so it doesn't get stolen and for safe use.
6: Yeah, I, I was, and I was going to correct myself when I when I talked about gassing stuff up before the before the storm hits, because you really don't know if power is going to go out, and then you've got a machine sitting there full of
2: gas. Yep, the key. I rarely anymore, even though I like the walk behind mower. I know I'm going to use it throughout the summer, but um, unless you know you're going to run that machine or run most of that fuel out of it, um, just put in it, start to learn that. <laughs> what it takes to mow the yard, what it takes to operate the chainsaw, um, and just use that amount of fuel.
6: So that's ideally, ideally, it's hard to drain them. yeah, ideally you want to run it out.
2: And so if you're going to put it up for the season, so at the end of season and you're going to um, put up my, I had a little uh, gasoline in my uh, lawnmower. So you just have to tie the throttle and, and run it dry. Um, that's the best bet to make sure it'll start next season.
6: What kind of expense are people looking at for uh, for snow throwers? And the reason that I ask that is here in Michigan, we get a lot of snow. But sometimes we'll go, you know, there may be only three big snow events a season. Or, or you know, in a tough winter, maybe a half a dozen snow events. So there's only that many times that you're actually going to use it. Most of us that, that deal with snow all winter long, you know, if it's... If it's less than three or four inches, we don't even push it around. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, it's yeah, it's, but you're
2: t- you're tough folks. Yeah, you're it's tough.
6: it's got to be a, a foot before we even call it a snowstorm. But but that raises the question: if you're only going to use the equipment three or four times a year, what's what's the cost-benefit analysis? What um, you know, how much should you invest
2: in outdoor sure. equipment? Well, a lot of that depends on the user, right? So if you're <clears throat> frail, I am not – you know, I wish I was in better shape. Um, and where I live, what you've just described, we don't usually – I'm in the mid-Atlantic across the river from Washington, D.C., so we don't often get snow. Um, we get very little snow. But if we get it, oftentimes it sets up as a nor'easter off the Atlantic, and we'll get a foot. So we don't get very much. We get one snow a year, but it could be 18 or 20 inches, which is a beast. Um, And so, again, the machine will do the work. And so often it's predicated on what are your capabilities. And there's a machine to fit every size, need, price point. There are what are called electric brooms, little snow brooms. Then there's a little single-stage gas unit, battery unit, electric unit, small, little compact, uh, single-stage device. Then you get into two-stage augers and impellers, um, 24 inches, 30 inches, 36 inches, and then a powered broom. These things go from, you know, $500 $500 to $25,000. I mean, there's a size and shape for you. Now, remember, the machine will do the work. So, But, again, you have to be able to maintain control. They're fairly strong, but you can set your speeds, et cetera. Um, if you can push the handle, the machine will go do the work. It has a drivetrain. The auger impeller does the work. But you have to be able to turn it. So part of it is go, if you're going to buy a unit, make sure you can handle it. Make sure it's one you can maneuver. Make sure it fits your needs. Do you have a driveway walk? What do you envision using it for? And then balance that against um, your budget. There's a unit out there for you. Um, again, for people that have a – it's called a broom, a little snow broom. And you, people who have balconies and patios and just a simple walk, it may work just fine. Um, and, again, you get in, once you get into a single stage and then a two-stage, which has an impeller and an auger, quick note – Never, never, never put your arm or hand in a snowshoe, ever. Never work on the machine when it's running, ever. There's a little tool. It comes with the unit. It's usually affixed to the unit. It pops out. looks like a little miniature shovel. Use that uh, on any snow or ice clogs in the machine. Um, but the big units, uh, you know, again, I have a big two-stage unit. I can throw all my snow in my neighbor's yard. We don't want you doing that.
6: <laughs> so be mindful. Unless be you don't like your neighbor. Correct. <laughs> That's funny is is there a, a a standard list of of power equipment that the average homeowner should have and maintain to um, you know successfully take care of their their property and and their lawn and landscaping and so on?
2: Yeah, a lot of it just depends on what you're capable of doing, what you want to do. Um, some people don't have much of a yard. Some people have a large yard. Some people you know, I have dogs, so I have a big yard. Uh, do you have a slope? Are you on a hill? Um, do you, is a front drive? Because, you know, you can get push mowers. You can get front drive mowers. I have an all-wheel drive walk-behind mower, so that machine, it'll climb trees. Uh, it'll easily go up and down hills. So part of that is kind of understanding, our, and feel free to go to your dealer um, or your retailer and say, this is what I have, a quarter acre. I have a half acre. Um, I want to ride because nowadays there are a lot of consumer zero turns in addition to garden tractors. So good price points on small zero turn mowers if you have an acre or more. Um, It just really does depend on what it is you, some people want to do the work. Uh, I like to do it, so I have a string trimmer and a hedge trimmer and chainsaws, but I'm very familiar with the machines. And the machines today are very easy to use. They're user-friendly. They've been lightweighted. They're ergonomically designed, so they're not overly heavy. Most anybody can utilize a a string trimmer. They're very easy to change or, uh, you know, manipulate the device. Um, So go and experience A dealer would be happy to walk you through Uh, You know, go to them, say, this is what I have. I've got bushes and trees, or I have grass, or I'm going to put in that. Um, But if you're thinking about doing planting, I would just say what we've seen with this COVID business is an extraordinary – it's a phenomenon. We call it backyarding, where people have reattached. They're beginning to use, again, their lawns and landscapes as places to work, places to play, you name it. Um, Get – planning early. We know that this was one of our biggest years ever for the sales of outdoor power equipment on the consumer side, and we see huge demand for hardscape materials, people putting in patios, huge demand for uh, plant materials, fire pits, propane heaters, etc., but plan that early. It'll be a tough season looking for materials.
6: You know, that um, reminds me that a lot of people are starting to uh, even grow food in their yards and and, and it's not just tomatoes anymore i mean it's tomatoes and green peppers and cucumbers and you know all kinds of stuff and um you know that that's what makes me wonder if there's an inventory of equipment that that people should have if they if they really want to maintain and do a lot of uh work in their yards what's what's too expensive (laughs) <laughs> is, is it <laughs> one of those things that if you have to ask, it's too expensive?
2: <laughs> well, there's just the nice thing about it is, um, you know, you can go to a Walmart, you can go to a professional dealer. There's a mower. There's a price point on a mower that you can afford. There really is. Um, it'll depend on, and much like an automobile, it'll have bells and whistles. like your snow thrower. It might have an electronic start. It may have heated handles. It may have headlights. It may have all kinds of things, a different kind of wheel or drivetrain. Um, so there are you know, entry-level units, right? There are entry-level sure. units. There's a walk-behind for $100, and there's a $500 walk-behind mower. Um, so there's a unit for everybody. That's one of the great things about power equipment and a power source today. I mean, there's going to be a battery unit. There'll be likely to be an electric unit, certainly a gasoline unit. And then on a riding unit, uh, battery, you see hybrids, right? So you'll see a small engine and a generator. So diesel, electric, gasoline, electric, propane product. Lots and lots of different power sources today. Is electric start the way to go? It's easy, but nowadays the engines are so good. Uh, I, I raised my hand. The um, My snow thrower hadn't been used in two, maybe three years. Um, for sure, at least two. I had run it dry, put a you know, storm dry, store them in a dry place, but it was in the garage. Got it out, put fresh fuel in it. I mean it. First pull. Started. Um, today's engines are really durable. They're very easy to start. It's not like the old days where you wrap around the cord. It's typically a half pull on the string. It's not a hard pull. Uh, They're designed to start very easily, but an electric takes out any challenge or part of the equation, right? You just plug, push, you're done. Um, So it's an easy way to do it. Again, that's an option uh, for a lot of snow throwers.
6: Well, this is this is great, and Chris, I always enjoy talking with you about this stuff. Is there um, a uh, a resource where people can go to learn about this kind of equipment before they uh, face a salesman at the
3: uh,
6: sure, sure. garden shop.
2: Um, we're at OPEI.org, dot org, but you can always you know go what's close to you. So if you know of a, a local dealer that has Echo or has Barnish steel, um. Just go in there. Stop by. They're used to that. Um, get familiar. These machines may look challenging. They're not. They're, they're user-friendly. They're easy to use. These people are used to talking to, to purchasers about it. And then go to those manufacturers' website. right? So if it's a John Deere, Toro, there's all lots and lots of manufacturers in this space. So those websites um, will walk through all of their products and sort of what they're designed for. This product is especially good for... Flat lawns. This is especially good for lawns over an acre that are hilly. This is especially good for right. And the same thing with chainsaws. Chainsaws come nowadays. You can get a little handheld. It looks like a just a little thing. You hold your hand, right? right. Uh, a little battery unit, and it's a trimmer. It's a little chainsaw. My mom could use it. Um, and then you have the big beasts, right? So there's a unit for everybody. But the key: get familiar with it, and don't hesitate to go into either a, a big retailer or. A dealer before you're going to buy, spend a few minutes talking to somebody about it. They're happy to walk it through with you. And and you'll actually see how easy it is. And remember, uh, you've you've shoveled snow. Sh- sure. snow is heavy, it's hard. That's a lot of hard work. The machine will do all the work. You just have to aim it. Um and they and it looks big, and they look scary, but they're not. And that's the other thing. Just you're familiar with your the, the unit, um, it'll be less fearful and you'll have better control. So Take a cute because there's you know, take a few minutes and spend at a dealer or retailer and uh, try to learn about. It.
6: Well, Chris, as always, it's uh, it's a pleasure talking with you, and I I, I learn stuff every time we, we get together and talk. My guest is uh, Chris Kaiser from the Outdoor Power Equipment Institute, and uh, always uh, some great tips on on using outdoor power equipment. Chris, thanks so much. Good talking to you. Thank you. Springs around the corner.
3: and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services.
9: Or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810 767
4: 6490 The Tom summer Program. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom
7: Sumner Program.
0: to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
8: There's a fellow by the name of Noah built an ark. Everybody knows he built an ark. He said, what did Noah do? He said, well, he built an ark. But very few people know about the conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah. You see, Noah was in his rec room sawing away. He was making a few things for the home there. he's a good carpenter. Vuba, 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 Vuba. Noah. Somebody call. Vuba, Vuba, Vuba. Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. <laughs> right. Where are you? What do you want? I've been good. I want you to build an ark. Right. What's an ark? Get some wood, build it 300 cubits by 80 cubits by 40 cubits. Right. What's a cubit? Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what a cubit was. Uh. Well, don't worry about that, Noah. When you get that done, go out into the world, collect all of the animals in the world by twos, male and female, and put them into the ark. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who is this really? (laughs) What's going on? How come you want me to do all these weird things? (laughs) I'm going to destroy the world. Right. (laughs) Am I on candid camera? You're gonna do it? Wanna make it rain for a thousand days and drown them right out. Right. Listen, do this, you'll save water. Let it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and wait for the sewers to back up.
3: Right.
8: of an ark on the average neighbor. Now <laughs> here's a guy going to work seven o'clock in the morning, Noah's next door neighbor, and he sees the ark. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You want to get it out of my driveway? I gotta get to work. Listen, what's this thing for anyway? I can't tell you. Ha, 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 Well, I mean, can't you give me a little hint? You want a hint? Yes, please. How long can you tread water? Of course, Noah had had a heck of a job, really. He he had to go out and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, two mosquitoes, male or female. And uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. We find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. So we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? (laughs) What do you want? Gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Cause you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. (laughs) Come on, you know I don't work like that. Well, I'm sick and tired of this. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working on for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? I'm sick and tired of this whole mess that I've done. The whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me. You're all having a grand time. at good old nowhere there. I went out and got my best friend, Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Lord, Larry, Larry, Lord. You walked up there laughing. I hear them all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an ark. People around there laughing, picket signs, walking up and down. I'm sick and tired of this stuff here. People are walking around there. How you doing, Tarzan? How's everything up there? Sick and tired of this mess here. You're supposed to know all and see all. You let me go out there and bring in a pregnant elephant. You give me no manual for delivery, and never, never told me the thing was pregnant. There's good old Noah waiting underneath the elephant. There, bro right on top of it. Had enough of all that stuff. for You're running around. And you're supposed to know all and see all. Like I said before, you let me go out there and do all this stuff here. You. you never even looked in the bottom of that ark. Have you looked down there? No. Who's gonna clean up that mess down there? <laughs> That's like me. I'll tell you that. I've had enough for this. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm letting all these animals out, and then I'm going to burn down this ark, and I'm going to Florida somewhere, because you haven't done nothing. I'm sick and tired of all this But You're pulling around, and you haven't done nothing. And you got it raining. It's not a shower, is it? Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew it. all the time everything was...
5: This was
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Wash my hands, I don't touch my face, I stay at home, shelter in place. Distance don't go to work. I wear a mask and gloves, stay away from church. I avoid old folks, and should I sneeze, I do it in my elbow or a washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu Roku, Netflix PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors and I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Death of, me. The death of me I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy a TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find is sixteen honey and some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands Like a raccoon with OCD
7: I've
4: watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors Cause I'm sick of what I Of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me The death of me You know, they say this is war But we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Porkchop Hill And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid To parachute into Wuhan And find that little fella that ordered that man soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over, like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. What slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. As <laughs> Soon as I regained consciousness. You pilots, get off my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here.